Welcome into Running the Point on Radio Alabama Sports and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner here with you for today's initial pilot episode of Running the Point. And you're probably wondering, where did Running the Point come from? Why am I seeing this on my Facebook page right now? Why, why am I seeing this on my timeline? Well, look, sports talk, it's gotten stale. It's gotten irrational. It's gotten insincere. We want to give you a show that is different. We want to give you a show that challenges the norm. We we don't want to be following pack journalism. Today, you turn on the radio, everybody's talking about the same thing. You, You look at the national talking heads on TV, ESPN, Fox Sports. You look at it all, and they're all talking about the same thing. We want to challenge the way that you think, and we want to challenge the status quo. We want to be what sports talk should be. We want to be bold. And so that's what we're going to do here with Running the Point. We thank you for joining us along the way. You can catch the audio podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We'll have those uploaded in the next coming days. Uh, But once again, we appreciate you for joining us here along the way. We'll start off with today's topic of Auburn expectations. And like a long weekend with your in-laws, Auburn expectations coupled with the Auburn fan base is easily one of the most volatile combinations in all of the Southeastern Conference. Auburn is the most enigmatic team in the SEC year in and year out. No other team in this league has the ability to surprise when expectations are low and disappoint when expectations are high. This season, the expectation question has a mixed bag of answers, just like it does every year, and this year no different, but it, it almost seems like this year is more complicated than most years when you look at what Auburn's got coming back and what Auburn has missing, what they need to replace. Auburn's got a luxury that a lot of teams in this league don't have. They've got a solid experienced quarterback in Bo Nix and most of the time that that isn't what you can say about a sophomore quarterback but Bo Nix has a plethora of experience compared to other QBs in this league and that gives Auburn an advantage he's got a deep receiving core that he's already got a connection with that's coming back with him couple that with that wonderful connection between quarterback and wide receiver and this offense though doesn't know what it's got at running back doesn't know what it's got on the offensive line with four new starters Once again, mixed bag when you're talking about the offense. Experience at quarterback and wide receiver, but the running back of the offensive line is a sporting cast right now. You just don't know what you've got. On defense, Auburn's relatively an unproven defensive line, but one of the deepest and most talented linebacking cores in the SEC. Back them up to fill in the gaps. Defensive backs, you lose several players across the top at safety, but you bring back several good players at cornerback unproven in several key areas when you look at this Auburn football team. The offensive and defensive lines, two of the most important position groups in all of football, whether you're looking at high school, college, or the NFL, and Auburn is having to replace almost every single position across both of those lines. But when you look at the skill positions and the guys backing those up and supporting cast roles, Auburn's got a pretty good group together. And so if Auburn can end up being a good team in the trenches, you feel like Auburn's got a pretty good chance to compete for an SEC championship this year and compete, you know, at least be in the conversation with Alabama at the end of the year. 
But if the trenches are subpar, Auburn could be in store for just another average season. So what should be the expectation for Auburn this year when you're looking at a range of wins that could go from anywhere to, to 5 and 10 this season? Auburn could go from being one of the teams in the middle of the pack, just like they were last year over the past couple of years, or they could go to being one of this year's top teams in all of college football. Once again, Auburn's playing one of the most difficult schedules in the SEC. That's no different. Of the main contenders in the SEC on week one, Auburn is the only team that got stuck with playing a team that could actually beat them. Kentucky, a sneaky squad coming from the SEC East, a tough opponent in week one and then in week two. Of course, you've got to play Deep South's oldest rivalry a lot earlier this year taking place in week two in Athens. Kentucky, sneaky coming into 2021, the most experienced teams in the SEC. When you talk about some of those squads, they join the likes of Tennessee, Texas A&M amongst experience. And that's why everybody seems to be Latching onto this Auburn Kentucky game, noon kickoff. They're latching onto this Auburn Kentucky game for that trendy upset pick. And I understand it. Good offensive line and running game. Terry Wilson back at quarterback. He adds that extra dimension to their running game that they have a quarterback that's mobile that can move. The question about the Wildcats, though, on offense is the passing game. Has Terry Wilson now coming off of an injury to his knee? Does he? And he wasn't that exceptional of a passer either coming back. If I had to compare him to a guy that people in this area would be familiar with, I would compare him to Nick Marshall, but not as good. Nick Marshall could air it out, threw it for 300 yards on Alabama in the Iron Bowl in year two. I don't know if Terry Wilson has that type of upside in his passing game. And that'll be the main question when you're looking at what Kentucky's got on offense. Can they throw the football or are they just one-dimensional? Could play into Auburn's hands if all they can do is run the football. The Wildcat defense doesn't get a lot of love, led by an ex-defensive coordinator, Mark Stoops, who's now stepped up into the head coaching ranks and is one of the most beloved head coaches by his team and all of the SEC. They love that guy. They love playing for that guy. And you know they're going to go out there and ride for their coach, trying to get him a signature win in week one of the 2020 football season. This defense doesn't get a lot of love. They only allowed around 22 points per game last year. And I bet a lot of people didn't know that. I bet a lot of people got out their preseason magazines. I bet a lot of people got out their uh, – went and tried to do a little bit of research when you see what Auburn and Kentucky's doing this year in week one. And they probably did not know that this defense is actually one of the better defenses in the SEC East, probably second behind Georgia. Florida's right there as well amongst that bunch. They're right there. Kentucky has the talent to compete – with those teams in the SEC East. I saw a tweet last weekend where someone said that, the, that their takeaway from this first weekend of Power 5 football is that your expectation for your squad should be lowered. And I think the same should be said for Auburn and Kentucky. Obviously, Kentucky probably in a little bit better of a situation with the sheer amount of experience coming back that, that you would be willing to bet that they aren't going to have some of the pains, the season-opening pains, as some of the teams that we saw last week playing in football. But when you, when you talk about Auburn, if people's expectations are high, they probably should be lowered because of just the sheer abnormalities of this year. COVID-19's messed up practice schedules. You typically have played some football games by now. You've been away from football from a little bit longer than, you, than you're used to, than you're accustomed to. So I would lose those, those expectations a little bit, especially for the Auburn offense, where they're having to get a new offensive line gelling, trying to figure out who's going to be the guy at running back. There's things that they have to figure out 
on offense that week one they're probably not going to have it figured out and then you go into week two and, and still talking about these expectations how difficult this schedule is for Auburn you go into week two and you got to play Georgia who is the best defense in the SEC there's talk in Athens that Georgia is going to have an all-time defense here that this is going to be some of the best Bulldogs on defense to hit the field I don't think things are going to get better in week two for the Auburn offense but Let's talk about the Georgia offense for a second and how Auburn matches up with the Bulldogs. Jamie Newman opts out relatively recently. I mean, in the past two weeks, JT Daniels now thrust into a position where I don't think anybody really expected JT Daniels to be the starting quarterback at Georgia by week two. I don't think he's going to be comfortable in the offense yet, even though it is a relatively easy offense to learn. Uh, but that that isn't a compliment for Georgia. That's more of just the simplicity of the offense. I think that plays into Auburn's defensive hands a little bit, uh, that JT Daniels won't be overly confident in that offense and that he'll be still learning the playbook going into week two they're having to replace pretty much their entire offensive line their entire receiving core their running backs Georgia doesn't bring back a whole lot on the offensive side of the ball and so I'm expecting one of those 21-17 21-14 games from last year and the question is who's the team with 21 who's the team that can break 20 points in that game and um, when you look at the two offenses I think Auburn's a little bit further ahead and so after the first two games I think Auburn has a real opportunity to be 2-0 and and if they don't take that opportunity to beat a top five in college football Georgia's going to be inside the top five after week one barring disaster in their first game of the season against Arkansas if Auburn doesn't take that opportunity to be 2-0 and well that could hurt the trajectory of the season moving forward of course They've got several easy games following that Georgia game. They, they get to play Ole Miss, Arkansas, South Carolina. The order of those games, actually, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Ole Miss, so I went backwards there. But when you look at those next three games, Auburn could be 5-0. and Then you play a down LSU team, you're 6-0. and You play Mississippi State, you're 7-0. and Auburn is better than every single one of the teams on their schedule after that Georgia game. You can be 7-0 and going into the meat of November against the three toughest games on your schedule, Tennessee, Alabama, and Texas A&M in that order. And I don't know if it works in Auburn's favor that the Iron Bowl is the second last game this year. But that's another topic for another day. When you look at Auburn's schedule on the back end in November, having to run through those three games in a row where Auburn will be fighting for an SEC championship spot and a college football playoff at least to be in the college football playoff rankings at the end of the year inside that top five, top six. And you're going to have to go 3-0, and 2-1 and across those three games. I don't know if it gets tougher than that, especially when all three of those teams right now, with the way that people are talking about it, Tennessee, Alabama, and Texas A&M, everybody is talking about those three teams at least trying to compete for their respective division title, that they're going to be in the conversation at the end of the year. The – Best teams in the country are going to be separated across those last three weeks. And Auburn, it's going to be no different, but the schedule's not easy when you talk about how the first two weeks of the season shape up and then the last three weeks. There are no breaks for Auburn this year. you got Georgia and Alabama on the road. The expectation for Auburn this year, at least through the first two games, they need to be 2-0 and because people will not be satisfied if Auburn does not compete for the SEC West title. It's the same every year. Auburn fans are some of the most fickle bunch, and they want Gus Malzahn to be winning these games against those roadblocks like Georgia, LSU, and then even lost to Tennessee a couple of years ago. 
this year, I know it's an odd year, and people probably should be get it, giving every team's own head coach uh, at least a little bit of slack, but we all know that that's not going to happen when football finally hits the field. And so for Auburn, this year, 2-0's got to happen through the first two weeks to be in position at the end of the year. And Auburn fans want to be in position at the end of the year. They want to be playing meaningful football at the end of November. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about death penalty for the Big Ten schools. We know the Big Ten's back. Looks like they've probably avoided the proverbial death penalty that people were talking about. Should they be allowed in the college football playoff? We've got that coming up next on Running the Point. Back on Running the Point on Radio Alabama Sports and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner here with you. Once again, taking you through what this show is all about. If you're just now joining us on the show, uh, we want to give you something that's different. We want to give you something that's bold and be what sports talk should be. We want to provide you uh, what you want to hear sports talk be about. Too many times you turn on the radio probably and the people that you're listening to aren't talking about what you want them to talk about. We're going to be talking about the SEC, Auburn, Alabama, regional sports in this area. We're going to talk about what you want us to talk about. So never hesitate. Comment under our Facebook video right here that you're watching. Make sure you leave a comment. Tell us what you want us to be talking about. Provide suggestions. We want you to be a part of the show just as much as we are. Uh, Make sure you like our pages on Radio Alabama Sports and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. And you can find the audio podcast of this on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Tease to this coming into this segment. Big Ten, they're back. And... For me, I was getting ready to railroad them this week. I had all this prep prepared for title here, death penalty for Big Ten schools. And now Big Ten says, hey, we want back. Let's take a look at the trajectory of what the Big Ten has done recently. They are not out of this PR nightmare yet just because they said, hey, we want to play football again. When you look at the Big Ten, this was the trajectory of their decision-making process. They, like every other Power Five conference, waited till the last minute to try and put some type of plan together. They released their football schedule, get everybody excited. We see Ohio State, Michigan's in the month of September, October, whatever. It's several months earlier. We get a schedule a week later. Ah, no, we're out. We can't do this. It's impossible. It's impossible. We can't do it. There's no way we can test as much as we need to. It's possibly heart issues linked. We just don't know enough. There's no way. Whereas the ACC, Big 12, and the SEC really didn't have any support for their decision. ACC, Big 12, and SEC are like, where'd these guys get that from? We don't really know what happened behind the closed doors of the Big 10 and their conversation. Seems like a lot of the presidents, chancellors, seems like a lot of the higher-ups in the Big Ten institutions were not a fan of playing this season for whatever reason, but what we do know is players, coaches, family members, parents, not happy about the decision to cancel it. No real transparency about what occurred. Was there a vote? What what happened? 
And now we taste the sweet nectar of college football the past two weeks, past three weeks. Of course, it's been a lousy schedule. We watched Clemson run over Wake Forest, Oklahoma over Missouri State. We got some okay football games like Duke-Notre Dame, Georgia Tech-Florida State last week. But it wasn't good football. We know what good football looks like. 16-13, to Georgia Tech topping Florida State wasn't good football. It was just a competitive game, I guess, between two subpar teams. Either way, though, everybody's got football back and they're loving it. Everybody's got their teams. Of course, it looks different this year, but we at least have it back. Big Ten says, we want back. And there's been enough... There's been enough pushback from players, coaches, parents, even Donald Trump for the Big Ten to now find a way. But I just don't understand why the Big Ten couldn't have found a way from the get-go. Everybody is saying that these are unprecedented times. That's a cliche. Stop that. Quit saying that we are in unprecedented times. That's not true. There have been pandemics. There have been plagues since the beginning of time. Do your history. There have been major breakouts of diseases in the last 20 years, in the last 10 years. Swine flu ring a bell, SARS ring a bell, bubonic plague. This has been a thing. These aren't unprecedented times, but if you want to say that they're unprecedented times, unprecedented times require unprecedented solutions. And it didn't feel like the Big Ten put the effort in to make something happen. All the reports showed that they didn't. The anger, the media nightmare that came from parents, players, and coaches being angry, they didn't protect their own. Instead, they protected their own interest. It seems like it was a decision based off of liability. Somebody didn't want to get blamed. Then you got Coach O at LSU saying, well, uh, everybody's got the coronavirus on our team. Uh, We're not going to be defeated by no microbials. Go Tigers. We're the defending national champions in the great state of Louisiana. And you look at the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, and it's a picture of, hey, we are moving on. We are are going forward. We are going strong. And we're going to find a way to make this happen. And that's why there was no support for the Big Ten's decision. And then... You look at the Pac-12, nobody even cares that they're missing. They're on the other side of the great expanse known as the Great Plains and the Rocky Mountains. Nobody even cares that they're gone. And you know why? Because everybody in the Pac-12, everybody in the Pac-12, it's just a different it's a different way of thinking. There's different politics. There's different ideologies. It's a completely different culture. It's a different time zone. When we're waking up to watch 11 a.m. football on a Saturday, they're still in bed. If you're sleeping in at 9 a.m., which most people are on a Saturday. And then over here on this side of the Great Plains, on the central and eastern time zones, we're not staying up till 9 or 10 o'clock to watch Oregon State and Cal finish a game off 35 to 34. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You know, the, people say that a coach yells at their, at their players. Coaches get on their players. They discipline the, their players because they care about them, right? And then when they stop riding a player, when they stop getting on them, when they stop pushing them, it probably means that they're a lost cause. It probably means that the coach has lost confidence in them. It, it probably means they've just kind of said, no, nope, there's no hope for you. And it kind of feels like that is the way 
that it's felt for for the Pac-12 this year. That that's what it's felt like. Nobody's yelling about the Pac-12 because nobody cares that they're gone. People yelled about the Big Ten because they cared that they left the college football scene. We knew we were going to miss Ohio State, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. We knew that we were going to miss legit college football playoff contenders and in Ohio State's case this year enter now that the Big Ten's back if they are let into the college football playoff enter now a team that legit can beat Clemson and Alabama for a national championship and they've got a little bit of an easier path to it now as well considering all they have to do is play nine games they just got an easier they got more time to practice they got more time to uh to warm up they got more time to avoid injuries of course they do have to play a condensed schedule in a short time period but if Ohio State's led into the college football playoff they've got less tread on the tires than Clemson and Alabama will is that fair for them to be in the college football playoff I digress going back to the Pac-12 nobody cared that they were gone so nobody yelled about it. Everybody on the Pac-12 country was okay with the decision that the Pac-12 made. And, of course, it's a little bit different, different of a situation. You're dealing with governments, municipalities, saying you guys can't play football. And a little bit different of a situation to the other portions of the country. But, once again, nobody was upset. The Pac-12 was gone. They were that player that everybody had given up hope on. And when your Pac-12 champion loses to the fifth-best team in the SEC every year, well, you're not really losing a college football playoff contender either. So, Big Ten's back. I'm not done railroading on them. I don't. I, it it looks like they not not necessarily sell, sold out, but in a way sold out. Yeah, I mean they they have given in to public opinion twice now. It's it doesn't look like the Big Ten is a strong conference. It doesn't look like they're capable of making a decision based off of their own personal convictions and beliefs. They made a decision based off of liability and what public opinion is and how people would view them based on appearances. And I, and I, for one, I'm going to be honest, I am sick and tired of that in today's society. I want someone, even though it may be unpopular, to stand up and make a decision based on what they truly believe is right. And I think our country would be in a better place for it. I think our organizations would be in a better place for it. That is leadership. Leadership is making a decision you can't make the right decision if you don't make one. No decision is the wrong decision. And at least the Big 12, the ACC, and the, AC, and the SEC all said, hey, we, we're, we're going to try. We're, we're going to do this. We believe in the power of football and the power of athletics for our student-athletes. We believe in the positive impact it has on the community and in our institutions and these guys have put in a lot of work, and we, and we want to try and make it happen. And, of course, money, I'm not going to lie, money, money did have a little bit to do with it, of course. But these institutions need the money. If we're all sitting here thinking that they could just survive an athletic year without their one of their only programs, and in a lot of institutions the only program that makes money, college athletics would cease to exist as we know it. We've already seen Institutions like Stanford have to make wholesale cuts of some of their peripheral sports programs. Goodbye, rowing. Goodbye, track. Goodbye, tennis. Golf. It can't exist if football doesn't play. 
And these schools said unprecedented times require unprecedented solutions. And that has been the result of the past three weeks of college football. And SEC, Big 12, ACC fans should be proud, especially that, and proud of their staffs at their respective university that they support, that they're getting this done. An incredible amount of pressure, restrictions, never before seen in collegiate athletics. Now that is unprecedented. And they're making it happen. They are making it happen, and they deserve a lot of credit. On the other side of this break here on Running the Point, we've got your first edition of Game Picks and Predictions. Full slate of college football coming up. we got Big 12 ACC games on the docket here on the other side of this break on Running the Point on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports. Wrapping up, running the point here on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports. Noah Gardner here with you for today's show. We're wrapping up the show with our picks and predictions. And look, we'll keep track of all of, of this all year long. We're going to put me on the chopping block every week, comparing my records. You can keep me accountable. Uh, this may not work out in my favor. A lot of people like to rib with me a little bit and say that, I'm a little bit out there on my hot takes and whatnot. Sometimes it works out, sometimes not so much. This week, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Starting off first game of the week, Syracuse at number 25, Pittsburgh, 11 a.m. on Saturday on ACC Network. 25th ranked Pittsburgh Panthers. Man, it feels like some time since we've seen Pittsburgh ranked. Syracuse, terrible outing last week against North Carolina. Terrible terrible performance only scored six points against the Tar Heels and they were in it until the third quarter too if only they could find some points they probably would have hung with the 18th ranked Tar Heels last week I'm going to take Pittsburgh in this one held Austin P to one rush yard may not seem like a uh, may not seem like a big accomplishment they were able to hold the governors to one yard but one of the better defenses from the ACC last year they held opposing offenses last season to three yards per carry Syracuse's offense brutally struggled against UNC only 202 yards didn't have a whole lot of that on the ground either. It's not going to get better for Syracuse this week. I like Pittsburgh's defense. Kind of feels like a little bit more of an old-school Pittsburgh football team that we're looking at. 25th-ranked Panthers roll to the victory at 11 a.m. on ACC Network. Game number two, Boston College at Duke, 11 a.m. on ESPN3. Don't worry, guys. The college football slate will improve. It even to a degree improves on Saturday, but... I'm going to take Duke in this one. BC hasn't played a game of football yet, and I think that's the difference. I think these two teams are pretty equal on paper when you look at their two rosters. But in this year, and once again, I go back to what I said in the first segment of today's show, whatever expectations you have for your football team in week one, maybe even as far as week two, lower them because those those expectations are, are going to be much higher than the product that your team is going to put on the field. Boston College, having not have played football since last year, they're not going to be ready, at least not as ready as Duke, and there's definitely going to be season-opening growing pains. Uh, I liked how Jay Chase Bryce, quarterback for Duke, managed the game against Notre Dame. I thought he played pretty well, all things considered, that he was going against 
a team that was a lot more talented than his team. Notre Dame's got dudes on defense. Duke doesn't. Duke's dudes are worse than Notre Dame's dudes. And Chase Bryce, I felt, kept his team in the game, fought hard. I'm going to take Duke in this one in a close one. Houston at Baylor, 11 a.m. on Fox. Baylor, Houston, heck of a ball game. I'm taking Baylor in this one only by fine margins. I think this one is probably going to be the most entertaining game on Saturday because a lot of points are going to be scored. Houston and Baylor both bring back pretty much their entire offense. Their skill position groups come back fully intact. The difference here, though, is how's the defense is going to look. Dave Aranda, new head coach at Baylor, former defensive coordinator at LSU. Baylor's defense was really good last year, but they only bring back two starters on that side of the ball. Houston, really bad defense. Gave up over 30 points per game last season, but they return a lot of starters. Maybe a little bit further along as far as experience for Houston. That might be a little bit of an equalizer here. But I like Dave Aranda's defensive mind. I like Baylor's players a little bit more offensively. Charlie Brewer back at quarterback. I like this Baylor team. Fine margin to Dave Aranda in his first game as head coach at Baylor. He's going to make people happy because I think he's the difference there schematically between these two squads. South Florida at number 7, Notre Dame, 130 on USA off of the NBC network right there. Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish didn't inspire confidence last week against Duke. I like the Fighting Irish this week because I think USF is that bad once again. Notre Dame better than their opponent. When you look at the two rosters, better players equals the win here for me. USF quarterback Jordan McLeod only had 68 passing yards last week against the Citadel. The Citadel. Electric rushing attack, over 300 yards on the ground for USF, but now they're running into a legitimate run defense at Notre Dame. Give me Notre Dame. Let's don't make this complicated. Number 14, UCF at Georgia Tech. Another pretty good football game, 230 on ABC. I like UCF in this one. Georgia Tech scrappy last week against FSU. Fought hard coming back from 13 down, scored 16 straight on answer, 16 to 13 win there. I like UCF in this one. They bring back a 3,600 yard passer um, in Dylan Gabriel. He's going into his second year. He's a freshman last year. Means his completion percentage is probably going up, and he's not going to throw as many interceptions in year two. I like to see the jump there from that quarterback. UCS bringing back a lot of talent at skill positions as well. They bring back their receivers, they bring back their running back. 16 returning starters back for the Golden Knights. I I think they get the better of GT, but I don't think GT lays down. I think the Yellow Jackets try and put up a fight, but just too much firepower for UCF. Last game, and this one is the headliner. Number 17, Miami, and number 18, Louisville, 630 on ABC. Neither team ran over their group of five opponents last week. Louisville, 14-point win over Western Kentucky. Miami, a 17-point win over UAB. But individually, when you look at certain aspects of their performances, they had some stellar individual performances. Malik Cunningham at quarterback for Louisville had over 300 yards passing. Rhett Lashley bringing in a little bit of 2013 Auburn to the Miami rushing attack. When was the last time Miami had over 300 rush yards in a game? When was the last time Miami's offense looked like an offense? I mean, this is the same team that lost to Louisiana Tech in a bowl game last year. Good gracious. I like the quarterback matchup, possibly the best quarterback matchup of the season this year in the ACC. Derek King versus Malik Cunningham, a 
run-first quarterback in Derek King against a guy who, once again, threw for over 300 yards last week in Malik Cunningham. Buckle up. This is going to be a fun one, but I'm going to take Miami in this one because of the rushing attack in the defense. That's still how you win football games, and I think Louisville's going to run into a little bit better of a defensive performance than Miami is going to run into and what Louisville's going to put on the field. I'm going to take Miami to win this one. Once again, rushing attack and defense. That's how you win football games. That does it for the first edition of Running the Point on Radio Alabama Sports and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Once again, you can find the audio podcast of today's show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We're going to be back next week, same time, same place. You know where to find us, right here on Facebook on Radio Alabama Sports and Fox Sports Central Alabama. So long, everybody. Hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy your football, and God bless.